The following podcast is presented by Together Washington. Together Washington, we are seeking to build bridges across divides and tell the inspiring stories of those building the common good. If you'd like to support or get involved with Together Washington, go to togetherwashington.com. Thanks so much for being with us today. We are glad that you've tuned in. I'm Tim Gatos, and we've got a great program for you today. Uh, my good friend, Boris Borisov, he is uh, the CEO of Together Washington. He's the lead pastor of an amazing church in Spokane, Washington. He's bringing together uh, Ukrainians and Russians in Spokane, leading some community efforts and prayer vigils. And Boris, how are you, man? I'm uh, pretty good. It's good to hear uh, your voice, Tim. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, man. Thanks for joining us for a few minutes. I know you got a lot going on today, but would love uh, folks who uh, may not, from a cursory view, they, they kind of see headlines and things like that, but, but maybe they don't know kind of behind the scenes or what might be happening there on the ground. You, you know, maybe give us a Give us a minute of your story to help folks know, you know, who who you are. And then let's just you've got, you know, friends and family who are still there on the ground. And, of course, we'll get to the efforts that you're organizing in Spokane as well. But give us a give us kind of a sketch of of your history. Yeah. So I'm an immigrant to the United States, specifically Washington State, city of Spokane, came here in 1992. So I've been here for, you know, 25 plus years now. But. I have family friends. You know, I've been back to my hometown of Mykolaiv. We're from Ukraine. Uh, we immigrated right after the Soviet Union collapsed out of that country as it was gaining its independence. I didn't have much choice in that. So that's my roots. And we have a lot of Slavic, Russian, Ukrainians in the city I'm in and also in the Seattle area. There are lots. And so, you know, all of us here, we have a ton of connections still being first gen and so it sort of hits closer to home seeing, you know, your friends and family who you're still in contact with going through a lot right now. And so that's kind of the background of, of the history there. Yeah. And to, I mean, tell us about, you know, you've got obviously still a, a, a number of, of family out there. I mean, talk to us about that. Yeah. So we've got, you know, my wife has family in Odessa. We've got friends in Mariupol. We've got family and relatives and people that we know in Nikolaev, which is a port city on the Black Sea, a few hours from Odessa. Uh, we used to have some family in Kiev. So we have family kind of all over the place, and they're experiencing this uh, horror show that's unfolding, which is literally the bombing of every major city, it sounds like, in Ukraine at the moment. Yeah. And and when you came, I mean, you've Spokane is a um, there what twenty to thirty thousand Ukrainian and Russian folks who who live there. It's, it's there's a lot of uh, folks there who have the background that you have and and you for years. I mean, this is that's been a huge part of your uh, service. I mean, not only through the city of Spokane, but the the ministry and the and the churches that you've planted. I mean, that's been a huge part of of your your work. Yes. So we've got, like you said, 30,000 Ukrainians. There's probably a total of 50,000 Slavic people from former Soviet states. So all of them share the Russian language as a commonality, but they also have other languages like Moldovan, like Ukrainian. And there's a lot of them in Spokane. And my work's been involved serving in the church, especially for that first generation as they were establishing their churches, their community hubs, their community 
support services, but also specifically with that sort of bridge generation that I'm part of. You sort of were born in Ukraine, but you came here really young. And so you're you have one foot in that culture, one foot in sort of the American culture. And so you're kind of the bridge. And so seeing all of this develop, seeing us get established in this new country for the last 25 years and really, you know, put down roots in this country. We're Americans now. Uh, at the same time, we're not quite like, you know, my kids probably will feel what's happening in Ukraine as something completely foreign, whereas for us, being the British generation, it still hits close to home. And so, of course, now that the uh, development of that community has taken root in Spokane, it's like, how do we respond? What do we do? And, and sort of just managing the reaction and the responses, you know. Yeah. Just just tell us, how, I mean, how I know it's, I mean, how are you doing? Yeah, I would say... Uh, my personal uh, state is a, is a confluence of horror, disbelief, anger, you know, all of it comes in waves. Um, just to, you know, view some city being bombed is one thing, and there's an intellectual outrage that you can have. But then, you know, when you turn on the news, and I, I noticed this yesterday, when it's your home city that's burning, it kind of cuts right through the intellectualism down to the heart. And, and so that's sort of the, the part everybody's in, because every single person I've talked to, every single Slavic in Spokane probably has a loved one. Uh, we had a prayer service yesterday, and we asked people to write the names and the last names of the people or multiple people per post-it note that they know and stick it on the wall so we could pray. And every single person in the congregation had multiple sticky notes. I mean, it, that's how real it is, right? It's not just, um, oh, you know, some lost... Uh, uncle is over there. It's like we have people who, you know, my wife was in Ukraine visiting friends. Uh, she's an American citizen, and now she's stuck trying to escape under bombardment. So the community is pretty riled up and, of course, lots of, you know, tears and grief and processing. But we're also trying to stick together and also organize some sort of relief effort, uh, some sort of command center where um, you know, we have a lot of Slavic churches in town who have this uh, live info from the ground. So how do we build some cases like here are all the people stuck and how can we coordinate with the State Department, with our Congress people, uh, with World Relief and other agencies and kind of turn our sort of shock into action. That's sort of what we're trying to accomplish here on the ground. Yeah. I mean, t- talk to us about that. What, what is that? What are you trying to do right now? Give us a little more in depth on that. So right now we, we're trying to put together um, – so uh, we gathered 20 Slavic pastors from about 8 to 10 churches on Saturday, very short notice, and we built a, a bit of a coalition, issued a joint statement as to our position. We're trying to keep it like civil, knowing that a lot of our Ukrainians are married to Russians, so it's not like Ukrainians against Russians. It's we're against the evil being perpetrated on people. And then from that position of togetherness, how do we then respond? So each church has um, appointed a coordinator that will then ask their congregations what are the needs and kind of feed that to a central hub. And then the central hub will be, you know, probably staffed with a bunch of volunteers for now. We'll sort of decipher who can take what. You know, some of us are in the nonprofit world or we have connections in government. Our first course of action is we anticipate uh, an influx of refugees. Uh, There's close to 500,000 fleeing right now just in the last few days into Poland. So we're trying to see if we can get a team on the ground there or just, you know, work with the Red Cross. A lot of those folks probably have family members in Spokane or other cities across the country of, you know, people who immigrated in the 1990s who are established. It would make sense. So each of these coordinators in the 20 churches in Spokane 
they're going to develop a list of families who can take people in tomorrow, right? Um, and then seeing if there's a way with the State Department to expedite the process. I know with the Afghanistan uh, withdrawal recently, there's, I forget the name of it, I think it's called a humanitarian um, visa, some sort of visa, a temporary one that lets you just come in for two years while you, you know, get established and then you can apply for a long-term permanent status if need be. So, you know, we're in the process of organizing and seeing if we can go to our Congress people and say, look, we talked to all the coordinators of all the churches. We've got, you know, uh, let's say 300 homes ready to go. Each church can take 25 people. That's 5,000 people. Can you start, you know, feeding that pipeline? Can we, can we be a direct conduit for that? So that's sort of the background work that we've been doing in the last five days is sort of getting organized and, uh, again, being very methodical and strategic about how do we just, um, because we've been established and there's a, an understanding of what it takes to be a new country, we've, we've been through that path over the last two decades, can we just turn around and use that to, to you know, be a sponge for, for the need or a relief valve, if you will? Yeah. Are you seeing, I mean, what is it like, Boris, between, because uh, I'm sure you're friends with Russians, right? And, mm-hmm. I mean, what's the, what are you hearing with, with so many um, Ukrainians and Russians in Spokane, many who I'm sure you're connected with, friends with. I mean, what is that like right now? Yeah, I think there's a lot of solidarity. And on the whole scale, it's very positive. It's it's a coming together. It's a sharing of tears and hugs and embrace. It's an understanding that, um, you know, we're Slavics. We have roots. Yes, we're different, but we have similar root systems and and values and a recognition that this is not a war of the Slavic or the Russian people against Ukrainians, but of an evil regime against uh, a people to expand his, you know, ambitions for an empire. But I don't make don't make any mistakes about it. The people of Russia are also suffering. Um, not everybody wants this, and so we are actually pretty well aligned and we're together and we're trying to be very intentional about having that unified front and not splitting this into a nationalistic conflict. Uh, especially because we're Americans, you know, we left the old countries. We've um, established roots here. We we we're away. We've benefited from the generosity of the American country and systems and people and the generosity of Spokane and Seattle and Sacramento is another uh, hot spot for the immigration in the 90s. So we we don't want to use that as a way to divide. We don't need that. We need to work together because the reality is. Uh, a lot of the refugees that will be coming will be mixed families, Russian married to Ukrainian and vice versa. So uh, that we're trying to be very intentional. Yeah, there's, you know, spats here and there. As far as the faith leaders are concerned, we're, we're trying to uh, put a message of togetherness out there. Yeah. I mean, one thing that's just, you know, for me, that it's interesting. I, I mentioned earlier in the program, it's like there, there's no other time in history that I, at least in my lifetime, where it, like you watch the news, you read the papers and 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 you're kind of like, OK, how much of this is, you know, what percentage of this is true? Right. Like 50 percent, 70, 20. Right. Because so much of the news today has this kind of bias effect. Right. I mean, it never I mean, it's it's a weird time. Right. Where you're like, gosh, what really is up and what's down? Because, yeah. you know, based on a, a lot of things, right? We don't need to go into that, but but at least that's where I find myself at where of like, okay, what what really is for instance, okay, so like there was the whole story about 
you know, that island, the Snake Island, right? And and those soldiers, yeah. the Ukrainian soldiers were like, yeah, forget you guys, you know? And, and so everybody was talking about how, you know, those guys were, you know, they went out, as Bon Jovi said, in a blaze of glory, right? I mean, they, you uh-huh. know... But it wasn't the case, right? They they didn't die. They survived, according to others. But again, it's like, oh, okay, I wonder which one's true here. Um, mm-hmm. But it just, again, it, it it seems like there's always those kind of things out there um, where you're just like, okay, what really is happening? Come, I just want to know yeah. the truth. Yeah, and it's interesting. So the, the thing about the Snake Island incident is, yeah, they got some things wrong because they're trying to embellish the story. Uh, I, I thank God they're wrong and that they didn't go out in a in a blaze of glory. You know, that's something that we read through a lens of history. It sounds really cool, but I'm pretty sh- darn sure the mothers and fathers of those sailors are very happy that story was false in some ending of it in terms of how it was reported. But what is true is they did say, get lost, and no, we're not putting down our arms. And so uh, it is inspirational. You know, Putin just assumed that Ukraine would fold, and I— also understand that each newscast has to have some lens that's biased. Some of it is uh, you can't escape it. At the same time, what's been really interesting is I don't think the news is showing the, the atrocity at, at the level that it's actually being committed because, you know, for example, I'm on some chains and, and videos that come in probably every five minutes from the front lines, from civilian zones where my family's at. And it's it's much more dire than what we've seen because it would be too graphic to show. Um, but the shelling of supermarkets or the shelling of parking lots with children inside cars burning alive, I apologize if that's too graphic. That is happening right now. And there's a 17-mile convoy of military equipment heading to Kiev right now because the assumption was it'd go easy. It's not. And so... I think they're going to get desperate. You know, some of that stuff you you look at and you go, oh, my gosh, um, I wish the news was actually saying more. I know it's hard, but maybe it's because I'm biased in the perspective it's my homeland. Um, But, you know, the worst is yet to come, they say, in the next few days. Uh, From what I hear, nine days is approximately, you know, how much they would have to hold out in Kiev, as an example, before the supply lines are starting to run dry. Um, But who knows? It, It is. It is definitely uh, good that the news media is covering it. I, you know, we appreciate it um, that there is a lot of awareness, um, and I do think they might get the details wrong here and there right now. The, the thing about this is, you know, it's, it's one thing to to discuss on the news a, a theory about this issue or that issue, um, but when stuff is on the ground uh, happening um, and you're kind of in the fog of war, it's hard to say, oh, that's that's not real when you're seeing quite clearly the, the, the suffering, the human toll and the human suffering um, that is taking place. So we, we are witnessing it on the on the news, but also through personal connections with people on the ground. And and, and that's what I would say uh, with regards to that, Tim. Yeah, a lot of times we're just like, oh, man, what what really is factual? What's not? What what am I what what's embellished? What's not? And and that's why I appreciate, you know, the chance to talk to you. I mean, you, you're I, I assume you're you're talking to people there. And you're hearing about what's happening on a day-to-day basis. And, and I mean, that's coming straight, you know, from the old saying, from the horse's mouth. I mean, what are some of the things that, as you've talked to friends and family out there, I mean, what's what are they experiencing that maybe we're not seeing here? 
Yeah, I, I think it's just the fear, right? Trying to calm your kids down. Um, if you have families, it's the stories of the pregnant mothers who are giving birth underground in subways because their hospital is being bombed or it can get close to artillery fire. It's the, the missiles that are hitting residential buildings. I think when the war first started, the assumption was it would go quick. So the first bombs that hit last week were, you know, military targets specifically, so airports, military equipment, and then some of it missed. But now that there's been some stiff resistance by locals, uh, we're seeing a lot of maneuvers by the aggressors that are killing more civilians, whether that be more firing of residential zones or sending in um, soldiers who are dressed like Ukrainian uh, military people and personnel or plainclothes civilians who are kind of laying the groundwork for further mischievous uh, behavior as the attack forces come. So dealing with, you know, street fights, um, militias being armed, everybody getting weaponry, and basically taking control of your own city because if you are going up against uh, an invader and an attack and you have uh, a small city with not a lot of military power, you know, outside of Kiev, that seems to be the the big sort of news story in Kharkov, which is the second biggest city. Uh, But there's a lot of little smaller towns and villages where people are just putting up a fight. You know, the people that are taking matters into their own hands and putting up a fight and incurring losses. Um, And so, there's a lot of stories on the ground of the day-to-day. Uh, right now, what we're hearing is people are taking it a day at a time. Hey, we survived another day. Okay, let's go. It's stories of parliament members and city council people taking up arms and protecting the city, basically all hands on deck. Um, a lot of women and children are fleeing. Men are staying behind. Um, so right now, uh, what we're seeing on the ground is the first wave was a resisted. Uh, there's like a lull in the battle, but the fear is that it's just the aggressor regrouping to come in with something more, uh, you know, difficult, something <laughs> more harsh that's going to uh, be more severe and indiscriminately kill uh, civilians, not just civil- uh, military targets. And so that's what people are gearing up for right now. The next 24 to 48 hours will be very crucial. Yeah. What are you uh, now? I know you've talked about with, you know, some of your local, um, you know, friends there and for folks who might be listening, who might be in the Spokane area. Are there some opportunities that you're organizing for for people to get together? Yeah. So tonight we're having a prayer vigil at 7 p.m. just in a few hours at uh, 708 West Nora, N-O-R-A. So we're having a a vigil. Uh, We'll get together. We'll pray. Uh, we're also, if you, sorry, Tim, I'll just throw this out there. If you find us on Facebook, Pacific Keep Church, uh, we're going to put up a information link. You can sign up for email updates if you just want to stay tuned as we're organizing the relief effort. Uh, a lot of people want to give financial help. It's difficult to figure out because the banking systems are shut down, how we can do that. So we're researching with our Red Cross partners what are some legitimate um, established places to give that are doing real work. So uh, if you check out that Facebook page, you can follow a link and get email updates as we gather the info. Uh, so if people want to you know, get plugged in or help out, that's a great way just to kind of we're in a holding pattern until more uh, opportunities emerge. Yeah. Well, Boris, I mean, how's your, um, how's your wife, how your kids, how, how's ever, how are they handling this? 
you know, my wife and I are sort of in, I don't know what to call it. We haven't had an opportunity to grieve or really pause. There's been <laughs> breaks here and there. Uh, we're kind of hyper-focused on the immediate needs at hand, which is to organize uh, all the churches and stakeholders here to be ready to go and offer assistance. So we've been sort of 24-7 for the last few days working uh, meetings, uh, convening people in groups, uh, taking names, making lists, things like that. My children, you know, they're young, and uh, they know, and we've told them, uh, unfortunately, you know, if they're not listening, we're like, you could be in Ukraine right now. You know, listen up. You're lucky you're here. You know, as, such, mm. as a bit of a humor, you have to you have to use it. Um, but we're also trying to keep, keep it age appropriate for, you know, five or six year old. And yeah. um, but I'll share this one tidbit. When when I was putting my daughter to bed last night, a two year old, as she's kind of, you know, being a, a little uh, not quiet and screaming, you know, I, I just took some extra time and just waited it out and, and just held her because if my parents did not make a decision that was out of my control 25 years ago, I would be putting her to bed tonight in a place that's being bombed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. And it dawned on, <laughs> it dawned on me that uh, this isn't a free path. I, like, it's a privilege to just put your kid to bed in a peaceful place. Um, it's not guaranteed. So kids are well. That's just an insight that I'm just very appreciative of this country uh, Washington State, my city. Uh, I, I'm lucky to be here, and the last four or five days have really uh, made that very clear and, and clear contrast to me. So, yeah, I mean, I know folks have you know, there's different thoughts out there about what really is happening, you know, and sure. why why Putin is doing this. And I mean, I guess based on what you've seen and what you know, what's going on? Yeah. It's complicated, right? Uh, what's the saying out there for every complicated problem? There's always a clear and black and white answer that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, you know, it's complicated. It's since the fall of the Soviet Union, I think Russia, or especially the leadership there right now, feels aggrieved by the way they've been treated by the West for a long time. In their opinion, probably if I were to put myself into their shoes, which is the posture that we try to do when understanding other sides and are not like us, they feel aggrieved and not listened to. And so they're, you know, lashing out for that. Um, Now, we can talk geopolitics and the reasons for that and and where we made mistakes in the West and vice versa. Uh, Those are things to be debated at at a general conference or a G7 conference, right? Uh, this is not the way to um, figure out foreign policy by taking uh, a people, a country of 39 million residents, and starting bombing their cities and their residential places. That's not a way to solve squabbles in the political arena, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess maybe I'm a little biased, but that's that's my perspective. I give room that, yes, there's there's need to listen to the other side on the political level, and people will debate that, what went wrong, how it went wrong. And those are good conversations to have. Um, but what is happening right now uh, is an atrocious um, invasion that is costing innocent lives. Um, and, of course, no one's saying that, uh, you know, this is the first time in history that people have used war to settle their differences on the political level. But it still hurts to see that, unfortunately, the disagreements at the higher levels, of course, impact the most poor and vulnerable of humanity 
and, and that's what's happening right now. I'm not sure if that answers your question fully, but that's sort of all I can think yeah. of right now. What do you make of uh, the Ukrainian president? Of course, the media here in the U.S., they love to, you know, they kind of create folk heroes and whatnot. I mean, and again, I don't, again, it's one of those things that I don't, I, I, they're kind of telling me that I he should, but I don't know for sure, right? Because I'm not yeah. there. That does, I don't, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things I don't totally understand. What, what do you make of it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, Ukraine is a democracy that's evolving, right? So a lot of the systems that were placed in Ukraine after the Soviet Union fell apart were still Soviet, yet they had their own free spirit. And so it was a work in progress. Was it a perfect sort of people are saying it's a democracy, you know, like America? No, it wasn't at that level. It was working on it. So, of course, uh, the president of Ukraine, I'm sure, had his issues. And I'm sure uh, there were tensions, and I'm sure um, there's still some level of uh, corruption and scandal that was happening at various levels in the government. Um, I'm not saying they were, you know, 100% clean. At the same time, um, they're coming off a period of history where um, they were under this arm of the Soviet Union, and, and a lot of people are embedded in those systems. So I think they were working uh, hard. I think Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, isn't perfect, but I do think he stepped up to the moment. Um, you know, we've seen recently of other places, even like Afghanistan, where as soon as stuff hit the fan, uh, the president just left. And it is still good to see him standing up and saying, I'm not going anywhere. I think that has solidified him. And this is something I'm hearing from people on the ground. They're very, very proud of the president right now. Um, they're not ignoring his issues of his domestic policy, you know, that has happened in the past and was happening six days ago. But we live in a completely different world now um, where, you know, I heard somewhere that they sent in, you know, 400 people to try to assassinate him, you know, this week, Russia did. So, you know, he's being hunted and was offered a ride out and he chose to stay. Um, and I think that's actually given a lot of moral lift to the citizens. Uh, what we're hearing is, you know, there might be 200,000 soldiers entering our, our city or our country, but they're going to be met with 3 million people in Kiev, for example. I think a big part of that comes from leadership. People look to leadership when times are tough. And so, yes, yeah, so I, I don't just say, oh, he's all great 100%. There's some probably areas that he wasn't great at. Uh, but for this moment, I think he's doing what needs to be done to be a good leader at, the, at this point. Yeah. Talking to Boris Borisov, he's CEO of Together Washington, pastor of Pacific Keep Church in Spokane, doing uh, just incredible work. And Boris, man, it's good to talk to you. I look forward to uh, talking more with you, but I appreciate you taking the time today to join us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Tim. Have a great evening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. See All right. You. Bye-bye. That's Boris Borisov. Uh, immigrated from Ukraine and is doing some uh, some good work. And uh, I hope that was encouraging for you. That was uh, great to uh, great to hear from him and, and all the work that he's doing.